Good morning. You know, in all of my years as a preacher, I have never had anyone come up to me before worship services and say, Chris, I brought a couple of prostitutes this morning and I want you to meet them. I've never had anyone come up to me and say, I brought my transgender friend this morning. I would love for you to, to meet him. I've never had anyone come up to me and say, I've got so-and-so here, he has AIDS, would you come and, and at least say hi? i tell you what I have experienced many times. Somebody coming to me and saying, do you know who's here this morning? He is a celebrity in the community. He's a great businessman. He's very well off. I want you to come and meet him. I've heard people say to me, I sure wish so-and-so would convert to Christianity because they have so much to offer. And a lot of times, what they have to offer is their business acumen or money. I had a gentleman one time many years ago, we were discussing him coming to Oldham Lane. He had visited several churches in town. And I said, I would love for you to come and be a part of what we're doing here at Oldham Lane. He said, you know what's funny, Chris? In all my ventures in visiting different churches, so many of them, after I've only been there about five minutes, come up and show me their building plans. Obviously, they wanted his money. Maybe even more than they wanted his soul. You know, is it the case that God is so broke that he needs another financial expert in his family? Do you think that, that God is looking for quality businessmen or women because he so desperately needs them in his church family? You know, James said something about this in James chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, it reads, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, You sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you're doing well. 
But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who has said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, folks, vending machines have come a long way since I was a kid. I used to spend a lot of time at the Paragould Municipal Airport. My dad was a crop duster and a certified instructor. And there were many days that I would go with him to the airport, and I would stay in the, in the lobby of this airport and spend some time while he was doing whatever it was he was doing. And I remember there were two vending machines in the airport lobby. There was a vending machine for cigarettes, which you don't really see anymore. And then there was a vending machine for Lance snacks. You know what Lance brand snacks are. And these vending machines had levers on them. You put coins in a slot and you pulled this lever and the snack would drop down and you'd take it. We've come a long way since then, haven't we? I mean, now they're so computerized, it's hard to even know what to do when you walk up to one. And of course, the big change is now you can use dollar bills. And how many of you have ever gone up to a vending machine and you pull out your dollar bill and you insert it in the slot and the machine happily takes it and you go to make your selection and then it spits it back out? And you have no idea why because the dollar seems to be fine. You pull it out, you look at the diagram on the slot to make sure George Washington's head's turned the right way and then you put it back in there and it takes it and you go to make your selection again and then it spits it right back out and now you're ready to fight. Now you want to kick the vending machine or do whatever you have to do to get your snack. I mean, why won't it take the dollar bill? So you take it and you do that little maneuver where you rub it against the corner of the machine to try to iron out the wrinkles. And you, you know, take the corners and try to press them down so they're not turned up or anything like that. And then you put it back in the slot. And then if it doesn't take it, you're livid. What's the deal? A dollar is a dollar is a dollar. Whether it's fresh off the mint or whether it's wadded up or taped or whatever. It has the same value, doesn't it? And I'm afraid that we as Christians sometimes can operate in the same way as those vending machines. A person has value no matter what they look like, no matter what they may seem to have to offer, whether they're wadded up, taped up, folded up, a person still has value to God and to the kingdom, no matter what. And James is bringing this up in the second chapter of his epistle. And he's saying that some things don't go together. And you and I know that. Some things just don't go together, right? Oil and water, toothpaste and orange juice, Republicans and Democrats. Some things just don't go together, right? And James is saying, let me tell you two things that don't go together. Faith and favoritism. No matter how hard you try, you can't make those two things mix. They just don't go together. And so you cannot claim to be a Christ follower and be partial. 
Back up in James chapter 1, where our James read from a moment ago, starting in verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. James, again, is repeating a thought that we see throughout chapter 1 and chapter 2 is some things don't go together. A faithful Christian who cannot bridle his tongue doesn't go together. That's an oxymoron. That doesn't match, right? You can't say that you're a faithful child of God or that you're a Christ follower and that you let your tongue run wild. That doesn't work that way. And so there's this continuous thought about some things that don't go together. A religious person can be prejudiced in their speech, and that doesn't go together. Of course, James goes on to say, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God is this. Visit the widows and orphans in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world. It's not a sin to pay attention to the so-called celebrities in the church. It is a sin when you only pay attention to them. It is a sin to treat others who may not fit your profile differently. Notice what is written in James 2, 2 through 4 again. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and you say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? The key phrase in all of this is, and you pay special attention to. If you use the American Standard Version, it reads, and ye have regard to him. King James says, and ye have respect to him. James isn't arguing that we should do less for the rich. He's saying don't discriminate against the poor. It kind of reminds me of the story of Mahatma Gandhi. You remember Gandhi? Some of you do. Young people are looking at me like a deer in the headlights. But some of you know who Gandhi was. Gandhi was so discouraged by the caste system or the, the social uh, divisions that existed uh, where he lived in India. And he began reading the Gospels. And he was so intrigued by the Gospels and by Jesus' teachings that he said, you know, here's a man that associated with the lowly of society. Here's a man who hung out with the dregs of society. He could relate to a man who broke all the barriers and didn't believe in a caste system like Gandhi was living in. And so one Sunday, he, de he decided to visit a local church, and he was going to talk to the minister about becoming a Christian. But when he came in, the usher refused to seat him and said, maybe you need to go worship with people of your own kind. And Gandhi said, if there is a caste system in Christianity, I might as well remain a Hindu. And how sad it is that because of that usher's actions, Gandhi was refused to come into the church and to worship, to talk to that minister, and perhaps maybe contact the blood of Christ through baptism. Look at verse 5 again. Listen, my beloved brethren. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? How in good faith can we as Christians reject those that God has accepted? 
What matters is not the size of one's wallet or pocketbook or their status. What matters is the size of one's faith. And, you know, people tend to look at other people and ask, what can that person contribute? What can they give the church? What can they give to us? And God asks the exact same questions. Just not in an earthly sense. Not in a financial sense or any other way. But in a spiritual sense. You see, all men are created equal. We're all created in the image of God. We are all loved by God. Every soul is valuable to God. We are all valuable to God. We're all created equal in God's sight. But in a sense, we're not all created equal, right? I mean, we have different talents and abilities. Not everyone has the same background. Not everyone has the same IQ or speaks the same language. Not everyone has the same ethnicity or the same financial status. There are vast differences across the spectrum of humanity. But while there are differences among us, we are all equal in the sight of God who is no respecter of persons. We are all one in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. There is no special status. In the kingdom, there is no caste system. There's no social ladder. Who we are is based on being in Christ. That's where we find our identity. Now, you're sitting there and you're saying, well, Chris, I I followed along in the one-word study this week, and I think the word was mercy, wasn't it? Why in the world are you talking about all this other stuff? Well, because it sets up our discussion this morning very well. Because if you notice what James writes, again, starting in verse 8, look at what he says. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point... He has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. And notice this. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. For judgment will be merciless to the one who shows no mercy. Think about the ramifications of that statement. Think about the consequences of not showing mercy. Think about how you and I will stand before the Lord on the day of judgment. Do you want what you deserve? Do you want to receive what you think you deserve? Because let me tell you, what we all deserve is hell. And I don't think any of us want that. But thanks be to the God of mercy, that mercy triumphs over judgment. Look again, though, at verse 13. And don't miss this. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. The man that wrote this had a brother by the name of Jesus. You knew that, right? And Jesus had a lot to say concerning this subject. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So James is making a powerful point that we cannot afford to miss. For those who show partiality, for those who who ignore others while giving favoritism to some, for them the day of judgment won't be pleasant. For the one who is prejudiced, for the one who discriminates, for the one who is disliking of some people, 
or a certain group of people, there will be no mercy for them. On one occasion, Jesus told a parable about a servant who owed an astronomical debt to the king. You probably remember this story. I think Noel alluded to it a little bit last week when he was here. It's found in Matthew chapter 18. And here's this gentleman who owes 10,000 talents to the king. In our day, 10,000 talents would equate to about $10 million. A talent was good for about 15 years worth of day's wages. So you think about that. This man owed an astronomical amount of debt. And the king decides that it's time to settle the books. It's time to collect on some of the money that's owed him. And he starts with the people who owe him the most, which would mean this guy that owns the $10 million debt. And so he calls him in and he tells him that he's going to sell him and his family and his possessions just to recoup some of the debt. Can't recoup all of it because he doesn't have it. So he is destined, him and his family, to spend their entire lives, what's left of it, in the dungeon And the man drops down to his knees, and he pleads for mercy. He says to the king, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Be patient with me, and I'll pay back everything that I owe you. And you know what the king does? This king was not ruthless in any way, although he could have been. Instead, instead of just throwing him in prison and, and ignoring his cries for mercy, he says, okay, it's forgiven. Just like that. He's going to wipe the slate clean. I'm going to have mercy on you. Not only do you have to not worry about paying it back, I'm not going to throw you in the dungeon, I'm not going to sell your possessions, and you won't have this burden hanging over your head any longer. Ever. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You're going to walk out of my presence debt-free. Not owing anything. Imagine that. What a beautiful illustration of mercy, right? But that's not the end of the story. If it ended there, that'd be great. What a wonderful, happy ending. But this story doesn't end well, at least not for the servant. Because upon being shown mercy, he celebrates by going out and finding someone who owes him a mere 100 denarii. That equates to about 17 to $20 in our money. And he grabs him by the throat. And he begins choking him, telling him that you better pay back what you owe me. And this gentleman says to that servant, have mercy on me. Have patience with me. I'll pay back everything that I owe. Sound familiar? But this servant was not as merciful, and he demands payment. And he's not going to show him any other type of, of recourse until he pays him back what he owes him. And the king gets wind of this and becomes incensed, and he calls that servant back into his presence. And he says, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? You think of it this way, the 10,000 talent debt that that servant owed the king that was forgiven would have taken an army of 8,600 men to carry it. If each man was carrying a sack of coins weighing 60 pounds, it would form a line four miles long. 
And yet the debt that was owed this gentleman could be carried around in your front pocket. It was egregious. And with righteous indignation, this king throws the servant in prison until he can repay that $10 million debt, which means that he was destined to spend the rest of his life in a dungeon. And notice what it says, verses 34 and 35. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father, this is Jesus talking, my heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Mercy is a bit of a tricky concept. We all want it, but we're not so giving of it. We all want it to apply to us, but we don't necessarily want to apply it in any and every situation to other people. The king had showed mercy on this debtor, and in turn, the debtor should have shown mercy on the one who owed him, because that's how mercy works. You treat others the way that God has treated you. Divine mercy and human mercy go hand in hand. You didn't deserve to be forgiven, and so you don't deserve to withhold forgiveness from someone else. And you say, well, that person doesn't deserve mercy. That person has hurt me. They don't deserve this. Exactly. That's what mercy is. Nobody deserves it. Mercy is getting what you don't deserve. And every Christian sitting here this morning has received mercy because what you deserve is hell. But thanks be to God, through the blood of Christ, you don't get what you deserve. Do you really want to get what you deserve for how you've treated God? In the Hebrew, the word for mercy is kased, And it's a very rich word, and it's a beautiful word. It's an untranslatable word. You can't translate it from Hebrew to, to English, really. But let's just say that it goes beyond mere emotion. It's not just talking about sympathy or pity for someone else. No, kased refers to getting inside of other people. To where you feel things with their feelings. Where you see things through their eyes and you think things with their brain. That's what kased mercy is. It's not just about looking at them and saying, I feel sorry for you. It's putting yourself in their shoes and saying, oh, I feel it like you do. I see it the way you do. I think it the way you do. If only that servant who had been forgiven of the 10,000 talent debt, if only while he had that other servant by the throat, he had looked into his eye. If only he had stared deeply into his eyes and put himself in his position. If only he tried to feel things with his feelings and, and, and think things with his brain. How much different things probably would have been. If only he would have, would have noticed as he was clutching that, that man's windpipe and closing it shut. If only he would have remembered just a few moments ago, he was in the exact same position, begging for mercy. And it brings to mind what I've said over and over again. If, if God can forgive the astronomical debt that we owe him, then certainly we can forgive the paltry debt that others owe us. That's how mercy works. It's been shown to you, and so you show it to others. What if we took the time to get inside of other people and feel things with their feelings and see things with their eyes and think things with their brain? What if we saw someone who was truly in need? And rather than saying, I'll go call the deacon over benevolence, what if we provided for their needs? 
What if we saw someone in need, and rather than making a snap decision about how lazy they are, or if they would just go to work, they wouldn't be in that position. What if we tried to meet their need? And what if we thought, you know, I might possibly be in a position like this someday, and I, I would certainly want someone to show mercy toward me. What if we saw a brother or sister in need of clothing, and instead of saying, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, what if we sought to meet their need by showing mercy? What if we did our utmost to put ourselves in the other person's predicament? Remember what Micah said? And by the way, if you're following along in our series on Sunday nights on the Minor Prophets, we're going to approach Micah tonight and see how, how he kind of matches up with what we're talking about this morning, his message. In Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, it says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 9, 13? But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion, not sacrifice. For I do not come to call righteous, but sinners. Remember Jesus' words to the Pharisees in Matthew 23 and verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe the mint and the dill and the cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, which is justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these things are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You see, I think Christians sometimes can fall into the trap of believing that I am a good and faithful Christian because I come and I sit there and I do, I do faithful, proper pew procedure. I come to church every time the doors are open. I'm here every time the doors are open with my Bible open and I sing. And therefore, that shows that I am pleasing to God. And certainly, worship is an integral part of the Christian's life. But it's not the only part. We cannot forget about mercy and love, kindness, those things that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. Because that's what Jesus desires. And we can't get so caught up in following proper protocol that we forget about what it means to show mercy. Because the test of who you are as a child of God, to show that you absolutely are walking in the footsteps of Jesus, if you want to say to prove who you are as a child of God, it's showing mercy. It's taking on the character of Christ. It's not just about being a rule follower. It's about being a Christ follower, which includes so much more than some of the things that, that we get hung up on based on protocol or procedure. Jesus is saying, show mercy. Because you have been shown mercy. And that's how this works. Mercy begins with a penetrating awareness of my own desperate need for it. If you've been following along in the devotional book, you know that each section of words has a heading. The last section was on big picture words, and we talked about creation and wrath and all those kind of things. This section that we start this morning is, is transformational words. It's Christian character words. Words that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks are not just mercy, but kindness and, and love and, and forgiveness, humility. 
And so as you read through the devotions, as you study these words, and as we study them on Sunday morning, I hope that that's how you approach them. This is all about character transformation. That's really where the rubber meets the road in our faith. It's what shows that we truly understand what it means to be a disciple. Not just coming and going through the motions on Sunday, but having a heart that seeks to be more and more like Jesus. Exemplifying those things that he exemplified in his daily life, including mercy. Let's not forget what the goal is here. The goal is not to get to heaven. The goal is to be like Jesus. And if you make that the goal, you'll get to heaven. You don't have to worry about the destination if you concentrate on the journey, which is growth and development. Notice again James' words, for judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Folks, hear me on this. If you get nothing else out of the lesson this morning, understand this, that mercy is a salvation issue. We want to talk about salvation issues all the time. Will this send me to hell? Will this send me to hell? Not showing mercy will. And we see it repeated over and over again in the Bible. Mercy is a salvation issue. There is no mercy for the one who shows no mercy. Again, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You cannot be a recipient of mercy while refusing to be a donor. It doesn't work that way. All of us are in desperate need of mercy. All of us. But there are some of us here this morning who have received mercy. We have gotten what we don't deserve. And there may be someone here this morning who has not committed their life to Christ. They have not gone all in in discipleship. And I want to encourage you to consider the cost of following Jesus. Because there is a cost involved. We... we here at Oldham Lane, don't try to sugarcoat things and make it easy for you to say, well, you know, to be a disciple, all your problems will be solved and everything will work out in life and everything will be comfortable and convenient. That's not the case. And Jesus was, was honest enough to tell us that that's not the case. But I will tell you this. It's worth paying that cost. It's worth paying that price. I think all of us here want a life that ends in eternity with the Heavenly Father. And if you want that, like we want that for you, like God wants that for you, then, then come forward here in just a few moments and let us pray with you. Let us, let us set up a Bible study with you. Or maybe you've been studying and you know that you need to put on Christ in baptism and begin that daily walk with God. Let's take care of that this morning. And for those of you who have done that and made that decision and are currently walking with Jesus, let me say something to you very pointed but very loving. You cannot withhold mercy and be in a saved relationship with Jesus Christ. That's not me talking. That's over and over again in the Bible. So if you need prayers for getting back on track, because it's difficult to show mercy in some situations, isn't it? If you need to repent of something like that this morning, then let us help you with that too. Don's going to lead us in a song. If you have a need, come now as we stand and as